So today I'm going to be talking about DNA Repair 1. That's what it's called in the Khan Academy module. I want to mention before I actually begin the content that uh, DNA Repair 1 is not some official, official biological or biochemical terminology. Um, rather, it's just to draw a distinction between DNA, uh, DNA Repair 1 and DNA Repair 2, uh, which are two forms of repair. Actually, they're mechanisms or a series of mechanisms um, uh, that occur uh, in response to various errors. Okay, so DNA repair one is the repair mechanism or group of, groups of, or group of mechanisms that occur in response to genetic mutations. In other words, mutations are the error. So if, if you have an error and it's a mutation, DNA re repair one occurs. Again, that's not an official term. That's just what Khan Academy called it. DNA repair two is, uh, occurs in response to the presence of what are called dimers, which I'll get into in that module. Uh, but for now, I'm going to focus, uh, focus solely on repair as a result of mutations. That's really what we're talking about. Um, I'll remind you of the function of DP3, DNA polymerase 3. We saw this in DNA replication, which uh, where it synthesized new DNA strands. Specifically, it, it gathered and added the uh, uh, nucleotides and joined them in a sequence to create a DNA strand. Uh, it, DP3 has a second, uh, you know, also very important function. This is by no means a secondary function of the enzyme. Uh, it is able to proofread, okay? And by proofread, I mean it is able to sense errors and go backwards uh, replace incorrect bases with the correct ones. Okay, so it's able to do both those things. It is able to sense uh, um, the error as it happens. And you might say, you know, how does it do that? Really, that kind of makes sense when you actually look at it, because remember, DNA polymerase 3 doesn't bind to a single nucleotide, right? It doesn't bind to one individual nucleotide or one individual base. It binds to a region, okay? It's, it, at all points, it is touching multiple nucleotides. And that's how it makes it possible for it to sense errors, even after it's, you know, gathering nucleotides for a new part of the sequence. It can still, it's still touching and therefore reading old, you know, parts of the newly synthesized strand. And that's how it's able to sense errors. So it's able to sense errors and go backwards and physically replace those incorrect bases with the correct ones. This kind of tells us that the, the genetic mutation, again, is not an error in the nucleotide. Of course, the nucleotide is faulty, but the, the entire nucleotide is not the error. The error is specifically the nitrogenous base. So the rung, the wrong rung was used, and really the rung half, because we're talking about an individual nitrogenous base. So that's the exact error that uh, DNA polymerase 3 is proofreading and changing. And this, this process that I've actually just described is known as exonuclease activity. Let's tear it apart, as I've done with multiple other words in MCAT, exonuclease. Exo means, or uh, indicates end. Exo is end or outside sometimes, like external, although it's more end here. And then nuclease is uh, uh, enzymatic activity uh, with the ability to remove a nucleotide. So enzymatic activity to remove nucleotides. So exonuclease as such indicates removal of nucleotides or a nucleotide actually in, the, in this case, removal of a nucleotide at the end of the DNA strand, okay? And by end of strand, I mean uh, uh, the, the nucleotide that was just added, right? Because DNA polymerase 3, let's say it's moving to the right, it's adding new and you know new nucleotides and all that stuff. The stuff that pops out of the other side might be an error on the left side, so it goes back and fixes that error. <clears throat> Endonuclease activity, by contrast, describes nucleotide replacement from the middle of the strand currently being synthesized. So we already have two uh, power players, distinct... Uh, separate power players that can be used to fix these errors, okay? So if we have an error that's, you know, right before, you know, very a very new error, like right before, or, or sorry, right after we uh, synthesized it, uh, we can fix that through exonuclease activity because it's at the end of that strip. 
However, if we have an error that's, you know, a, a good number of nucleotides back, then we would use endonuclease activity. And this is kind of just the difference, is really the position of the base. So if the, if the faulty or incorrect base is very close, you know, on the left side of the uh, DNA polymerase 3, exonuclease activity occurs because it's at the end of the newly synthesized strand. You understand? Whereas if it's in the middle of the strand, it's endonuclease activity. So it's all about replacing that faulty base. Note that DNA polymerase 3's exonuclease activity uh, occurs in a 3' prime to 5' prime direction. And what this tells us is that DNA polymerase 3 must move backwards. Because remember, I know, I know you guys hate these numbers. I'm, told, I'm telling you a bunch of them. Uh, remember that synthesis occurs in a 5 to 3' prime direction. So as such, if DNA polymerase 3's exonuclease activity occurs in 3 to 5, it's going backwards. And that makes sense, right? Because when we're synthesizing a new strand, you don't go forwards to, to fix an error. There's no, there's no strand there. If you go forwards, there's nothing there. Right, you know, you you can only go backwards because you've you know you've created a strand there. There's nothing if you go forward. So that's why um with the uh, the uh, exonuclease activity, it's going backwards to fix these errors. It's interesting to note that um, exonuclease activity is not specific to DNA polymerase three. DNA polymerase three exhibits both exo and endonuclease activity, but other enzymes are cap perfectly capable of doing it. For example, DNA polymerase one. DNA polymerase 1 can do exonuclease activity no problem. The only thing is, it uh, DNA polymerase 1's exonuclease activity occurs in a 5' prime to 3' prime direction. So it doesn't actually move backwards. It goes with synthesis, in other words. So, uh, and the way I, I, I would ask, I would have you think about this is DNA polymerase 3 is doing all the work, really. Okay, it's awesome. It add, it creates, it it collects our nucleotides, uh, or, or, and it synthesizes the new strand by joining them together and connecting them and all that stuff. And it also fixes them. Okay, so in other words, DNA polymerase three is helpful if you're uh, if you want to fix the error immediately. So you made the strand, and then you know you made a mistake immediately. You catch it. DNA polymerase one is sent to you know uh, uh, proofread after the entire strand has been completed. Right, that's why. Uh, DNA polymerase can get away with being in a five prime to three prime direction. In other words, with synthesis, because now going forward, there's still a strand there, right? What I told you about DNA polymerase three must go backwards because there's nothing in front of it. It hasn't synthesized anything in front of it. Every, you know, DNA polymerase is synthesizing the new strand as it goes along. It's, there's only stuff on on one side, for example, the left side of DNA polymerase three. DNA polymerase one is not the case because the strand is already completely full. So DNA polymerase one is kind of sent as a uh, uh, backup, if you will. It's worth noting that uh, as such, for those of you who are, you know, have taken physics or stuff, I like to think about it like this. Um, exonucleus, the exonucleus activity of DNA polymerase 3 um, is equal to the endonucleus activity of DP1. Okay, and th that's just a statement of their inverses and how they're going in different directions. <clears throat> Uh, so exonuclease activity is very effective at lowering the error rate. However, and so I, so so let me pause for a sec. We're talking about DNA repair. How does how do um, how do how do organisms uh, repair their DNA in response to mutations? They do exon endonuclease activity. That is the answer. Okay. So this is kind of a stopping point in the module where we shift gears now and we ask, what about what about the situations where an error is sustained? In other words, you know, what if both exo and endonuclease activity is essentially fails? They're unable to correct the error. So the error occurred and these two uh, uh, protection mechanisms failed. What do we do then? 
Is the cell just dead? Uh, in the event that the error is sustained due to some mishap in exo and endonuclease activity, a mutation occurs. So we actually have a physical, um, we, we can go a lot further than just saying a mutation is some error in the DNA sequence. It's an error that, you know, got past, you know, uh, the just laws of nature, number one of, you know, uh, DNA polymerase to working properly. And number two, exo and endonuclease activity. Mutations got past all that. So when you have an error that gets past exo and endonuclease activity, that is actually when a, an, a mutation officially occurs. <clears throat> and note that mutations occur on only one of the strands. This is really such a small part that I've written, but it, it's a lot to unpack. Um, and so it, let me just state it officially that mutations or errors only occur on the newly synthesized strand, never on the parent or template strand. And, and don't misinterpret this to say that the parent or template strand is completely free of errors 100% of the time. No, you know, errors are possible. But what we're talking about is errors that the DNA polymerase 3 added, right? Errors that, you know, the DNA polymerase 3 added the wrong base, right? And this is really kind of just reinforcing the idea that DNA polymerase 3 doesn't act on the parent strand at all. It just reads it. It reads it and the parent strand tells it what nucleotides to group together and in what sequence or in what order. But the DNA polymerase 3 doesn't do anything to the parent strand. And so this is kind of what, what, they're, what Han Academy is trying to um, clarify in this situation. <clears throat> So if that's the case, though, how do you avoid the mutation? Is that it? Is that our body's great advanced defense systems is exo and endonuclease activity? Yes, but there is a failsafe after that, and it is known as the mismatch repair mechanism. And this is kind of, I mean, you know, mismatch kind of tells you that, you know, the wrong base was matched. So it's, it's well named. Um, and it is this mechanism is composed of a number of proteins. So proteins, yeah perform this mechanism. And what they do is they recognize, obviously, the existence of an error. Um, and this is possible because DNA mismatch, um, the actual error, DNA mismatch, so the, the event of mutation or an error in the, in the strand, this distorts the sugar backbone, okay? So when an error happens, it doesn't just, you know, slide in nicely. When an error happens, the sugar backbone is actually messed up. And I'm not going to get into in... Uh, get too much into the details of it, but you can actually kind of guess why that would do it, right? Because we're dealing with bases, okay? And if you add the wrong base, you're obviously affecting pH and uh, OH minus and H plus concentrations and uh, polarity issues also arise from this. So using the wrong base is uh, 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 distorts the sugar backbone. So there is a visible error when, uh, when, when errors occur, it's visible to, uh, of course, at a microscopic level, but still it's visible to these proteins. And so that's how they're so easily able to recognize it. You know, uh, like I told you, DNA polymerase 3 can recognize it. How? Because it's attached to a region of the strand. And as such, it's technically still reading the stuff that it's just synthesized, including the errors. In the case of these proteins, they can recognize it because it, it, it distorts the backbone. Um, so the, pro the actual process is a five-step process, um, and that is that the proteins recognize the ex existence of a DNA mismatch, also known as an error or a mutation, whatever terminology you want to use. Proteins then mark this error with a cut, okay? So they literally cut it out. Think of excision, right? Uh, kind of, and actually, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, think of like, like spliceosomes, how they cut out introns, right? It's the same thing. Proteins mark the error with a cut and then exonuclease removes the cut out nucleotide. Okay. So it's worth noting the proteins actually don't do the work here. The mismatch repair mechanism is kind of, if you want to think about it, it's kind of like an exonuclease activity 2.0. 
because exonucleases are still doing the fixing. It's not, it's really not very different from exonuclease. It's kind of, again, I told you it was a fail safe, but another way to think about it is it's a more specific form of exonucleus activity. So proteins proteins are the ones that recognize the error and they also mark it, but proteins don't possess exonuclease activity capabilities, right? Only exonucleases and endonucleases possess that ability. So proteins mark it and leave it for exonuclease to do it. Um, after this occurs, one of the DNA polymerases, so not necessarily three DNA polymers, three, one, whatever, uh, inserts the correct nucleotide in that uh, 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 space, right? Uh, and finally, DNA ligase connects the new correct nu nucleotide with its neighbors, uh, and it's specifically all three neighbors. And you might say, wait, but it only has two neighbors, right? The, the two bases on its side, right? However, remember, it has a complement across from it on the template strand, right? So uh, let me review one more time. Proteins recognize and mark the error with a cut. Pr recognize, mark, and therefore cut. Uh, exonuclease removes the nucleotide. Um, uh, one of the DNA polymerases comes in and puts in, inserts the correct nucleotide. And finally, DNA ligase makes all the necessary connections to keep it in place. So proteins recognize, mark, and cut it. Exonuclease removes it. Uh, polymerase uh, replaces it. And uh, DNA ligase makes sure that it's well connected. That is the, DNA, the mismatch repair mechanism. So at this point, our DNA is now repaired, actually. Uh, and again, I want to reinforce that idea that this, again, is just another kind of like a derivative of exonuclease activity, if you will, because exonucleases were used to uh, repair the situation or repair the strand. Okay, so uh, at this point, it's worth noting that the MRMEC, I'm going to use that term because we're going to be using these terms very frequently, MRMEC for mismatch repair mechanism. The MRMEC occurs after replication has completed. And why do I draw this distinction? Because um, uh, the MRMEC is different from exo and endonucleases uh, or their activities in that exo and endonucleases uh, uh, work during replication. I told you, right, that um, the DNA polymerase 3 proofreads as it synthesizes. So the, it's synthesizing a new strand while proofreading the ones it's already made. Right? And that's really key because the mismatch repair mechanism uh, uh, occur, must occur after the entire strand is completed. And this kind of goes on to uh, refine or um, uh, support that idea that I mentioned earlier that the MR mech is really a, a physiological fail safe, if you will, um, for uh, the process of uh, 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 strand synthesis um, because it occurs after the entire strand has been, um, has been formed. So note this difference because MRMEC uh, uh, and uh, exonucleases are often confused, right? Because technically speaking, like I know I'm calling it the MRMEC, but really the MRMEC is just exonucleases assisted by proteins. That's it. You could, you could literally just think of it as uh, protein-assisted exonucleases. That's the entire mismatch repair mechanism, right? Although DNA ligase does, you know, help... Uh, help um, uh, uh, connect it to its neighbors, the main agents are exonucleases, which we've already talked about, and some proteins. So really you have, if you, if you want, you know, exonucleases and endonucleases alone are very efficient. They fix the problem right then and there, as before the strand is even completed. Then you have this MRMEC occur if uh, uh, that's put into place, if there are still some errors after the strand is completed. Um, and so really that's again, um, refining that idea that the MRMEC is a physiological failsafe. However, this, uh, this asks for uh, this, uh, from this, a question arises, how does the MRMEC know to distinguish between the original parental strand and the newly synthesized strand containing the error? And I know that made no sense. Okay. Let me, let me explain that in very simple terms. 
So I told you, right, that when when errors occur in terms of the MR mech specifically, how does the MR mech and the MR mech proteins know that an error has occurred? The sugar phosphate backbone is distorted, right? We're clear on that. So when the MR mech sees a DNA helix that's not a nice smooth double helix, but rather you know it's kind of blowing up in one area or whatever, it knows there's an error, right? But you have two strands. This is DNA, right? You have the the parental or template strand, and then you have the coding strand. So how do you know which base to fix, right? Because remember, the DNA helix, each rung is two bases, and only one of those bases is the error. How does it know which base is the error? It could be one or the other. How does it know to correct the base? Say if you have like an AG and the G is the problem, you know, the distortion is going to be on that entire section of the ladder. So the A might get replaced with something else. And now you have two errors, right? Because the G was already an error. And say the A was replaced with the T, that's a second error. So how do we know which base to fix? And the truth is that we don't know for eukaryotes. We don't, we don't actually know how eukaryotes uh, are able to spe- specify the bases, um, the, the faulty bases. However, in prokaryotes, we are able to. And remember this, so what I'm about to say hinges on something that I've said about uh, five minutes ago, maybe, where I said that the parental strand, the template strand, never has an error. In, in, and again, uh, that's, that's poor wording. Never has a new error, right? Uh, the DNA polymerase 3 is only adding uh, nucleotides to one of the strands, right? The coding strand. So that's the only strand that can have errors. Of course, the parental, the template strand, I'm, I'm just going to stop using the word parental. Template strand uh, is what I'm going to use. The template strand can have errors from previous, uh, pr- from previous activity, you know, some mutation. But I mean, in the case of DNA polymerase 3 adding these nucleotides, it's only adding it to the coding strand. It's only creating the coding strand. It's not actually really touching the uh, template strand. It's only reading it. Right, and so that's why uh, if we are able to distinguish the strands from each other, we then we'll know which which one the error is on, right? Because if we can find out which of these two strands is the coding strand, we'll know that the error, the base on that strand is the error. Again, I know that was really confusing, but we have two bases. We don't know which one is the error, right? One of them is on the template strand. One of them is on the coding strand. The coding strand is the only strand that can have mistakes. Therefore, the base on the coding strand at the site of uh, the sugar phosphate distortion, basically where there's an error, the base on the coding strand must be the mistake. It's difficult, I know, replay this audio multiple times. Um, So anyway, we can't determine it in eukaryotes, but we can in prokaryotes because prokaryotes such as bacteria, their parental strands, adenines are methylated as sort of a physiological marker, okay? The The A's on the template strand are methylated. Right, so this allows the MR mech to say, okay, well, you know, uh, when we're, you know, when we're looking at the two strands, hey, this strand on top, its adenines have methyl groups; they're methylated. So that means this is the template strand. That means this is not the error strand. That means the other strand is the error strand. You see how I kind of made that train of thought? It's complex, and I told you, I, I've said this in multiple modules that once we got to DNA repair, it would get a little confusing. Um, but uh, in bacteria, prokaryotes, we're able to identify the error specifically because of those methylated adenines. That makes it possible uh, for this high specificity mechanism to occur. Um, and that's actually the end of this module. I'm gonna do uh, one big summary at the end of DNA repair too, so I'm gonna stop this one here because this is getting pretty long.